At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not all clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are really fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Today, we're gonna focus on small businesses across the United States. There's a lot of hurdles and challenges and opportunities that come from a legislative and a grassroots standpoint. For today's episode, we're talking to Elaine Parker, the president at Job Creators Network and the chief communications officer at Job Creators Network. Elaine, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. As I alluded to in a brief introduction there, small businesses across the United States, especially during this time where it's really hard to find good quality labor to staff positions, they're having a hard time finding people succeeding and really it seems like their voices are going unheard. Now, Job Creators Network and your work there are looking to change that. So give us an overview of what you guys are all about. So again, thanks for having me. Um, The Job Creators Network is a national conservative small business advocacy organization. Um, And we're founded by a man named Bernie Marcus. And if you haven't heard of Bernie, he founded and started a little company called The Home Depot. Um, but he, he, even though the Home Depot is, is very large and employs over 400,000 people, there was the time when he started that first store and he was a small business owner and growing a business and he understands how small business owners think and how they work and the challenges that they're faced with, particularly when the government is not acting as a partner, but acting as a barrier. Um, and the barriers come in the forms of high regulations and high taxes and and um, red tape and dealing with those types of issues. And at this point in time, um, we are seeing um, those types of attacks on small business owners across the country. And they're coming in full force um, against small business owners. And we're coming out of, of course, the worst pandemic probably that we've ever seen. Um, But small businesses were hurt more than any others, because if you remember, they were told they were not essential. Um, Whereas the big businesses were all essential and all had to be open. We could all grocery shop and we could all go to Walmart and everything like that because they were essential. But if you needed your dry cleaning, um, you couldn't go there. And if you wanted a a pizza pie, you couldn't go there either because they weren't essential. So Um, So small businesses are trying to recover and they're facing an onslaught of all kinds of regulations coming at them um, and challenges. And so those are the types of things that we advocate for is, is making sure that small businesses' voices are heard and we educate not only small business owners about policies, but we share materials with them that they can educate their employees and we educate legislators through media and getting those voices heard 
we also educate the media by getting those stories out there about small businesses and their challenges. A lot of your work is, is education focused and, and your background, you know, you've come from utilizing and, and really mobilizing, I guess is the right word, a lot of grassroots efforts, getting really the common person out there, empowering them to go out and spread the word of what's going on. Now, I'm really happy that you mentioned the essential businesses and a lot of the, what kind of what we call the mom and pop businesses that were deemed non-essential, which is a terrifying term in my book. If somebody, if a government entity says that, hey, you're essential and you're not essential. What was the chatter amongst your constituents and your organization when it came across that says, hey, Walmart's able to stay open and do business, but the local boutiques, the local salons, the local restaurants, everybody's got to be shut down. I mean, look, there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of confusion and there was a lot of fear. And that's what made it so important to elevate those voices and create dialogue about how we could reopen safely and what businesses in certain industries could do to create a safe environment, not only for their employees, but for their customers. And that was important. And of course, there was a point in time where we simply were shut down and we needed to provide advocacy for small businesses through the the Paycheck Protection Program, which was the program that was stood up um, in just a matter of weeks, probably one of the fastest government programs that was successful, (laughs) developed, implemented, and executed um, in record time um, with record funds getting out um, to over 5 million companies, saving 51 million jobs. And it went to um, small businesses. They were specifically focused on you know, small businesses and making sure that they had a lifeline to keep them going and keep their employees attached to their businesses. Those were all important issues to focus on at the time. But we've, we've come out of that. Um, I know there's some challenges in certain areas of the country, but overall, we have good treatments available. We have vaccines. We have a vaccine-induced recovery is what we call it. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to get government out of the way now with all of this excess spending, which is causing inflation and, and uh, our labor shortage that we've got going on because people are being paid not to work and to stay home. We need to get government out of the way and get back to the fundamentals of the policies that were there pre-pandemic, because those policies created the greatest economy that we had seen in a generation. And so the fundamentals, if we just let those come back, we can get back to our pre-pandemic side of things. Unfortunately, some of the folks in Washington don't necessarily agree with that. Speaking of um, really extending the unemployment benefits is, is what you're kind of hinting at there paying people to sit at home versus finding good work. And everywhere you go, you see help wanted signs, now hiring on a lot of entry-level positions there. In your opinion, and, and based upon your constituency, and, and again, I'm going to ask this, and, and I do want to learn exactly you know, how big your reach is and, and what kind of businesses you do represent, but what is the impact, like the real everyday impact on small businesses when they can't get somebody to come work for them? I mean, they can't operate. And you think about what a small business owner does in a day. I mean, from coming in and opening the lights to answering the phones to doing payroll and complying with whatever regulations they have to on a daily basis and the paperwork that's involved, as soon as they are short staffed, they're having to backfill those jobs too. I lovingly refer to them as the chief cook and bottle washer, but they, they go beyond that when they don't have enough staff. And I don't know if you've personally experienced it, but I was in a tried to go into a sushi restaurant when I was in Atlanta just a few weeks ago. 
and the restaurant was not even half full. And the, the guy at the front, the host said, you know, I'm sorry, I can't seat you. And I kind of looked around like you've got Mm -hmm. at least 15 tables open. And he said, I'm the only one here. Um, And I just can't take anymore. He's like, "I, I wouldn't be able to serve you. And so we had to leave. So that is a common thing that's happening is that these restaurants, these stores are not able to operate. I was in a large department store, um, a standalone star- department store, um, which I won't mention their name, but their their dressing rooms were still not open. And I was kind of frustrated because I, you know, we were at a point of dressing rooms were open in every store. And they said, we don't have enough staff to open mm-hmm. our dressing rooms. Wow. It, the frustration is there. And I have absolutely seen it. Heck, even at preseason NFL games, half the concession stands were shut down. There's 30, 40 people in every single line. I mean, you know that you're backed up when the beer guy's not even going around in the stands anymore. He's just posted up in the lobby of the stadium. And there's a huge line waiting for, uh, waiting for people to get their drinks. And it, it's a problem across um, across industries. Um, and, and it's so- affecting supply chains. I mean, it, it really is. Oh, gosh. It's, it's affecting supply chains from furniture. I wanted to get by a new sofa for my family room. Good and luck with that. It's a three month wait just to get it, you know, because, because of supply chain issues. And it's always because of COVID. My favorite expression is because of COVID, those words, because of COVID, here's what you're not getting, or here's why we can't do this for you. It's always because of COVID. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sticks in a lot of cases and, and, and the labor shortage is, is causing a lot of problems um, across the country. And it's being induced by these unemployment benefits that really are paying people more to stay home. And now we've started kind of a, a test into universal basic income. We're actually paying checks to people for uh, their children. They're getting you know, $250 to $300 a month per child deposited into their account every month. So, you know, you start thinking about a family of four and, you know, there's been some estimates by Steve Moore over at Heritage, the economist over there, who said that when you add up all the government incentives, you can have a family of, you know, a husband and a wife and and two kids making $100,000 in government benefits. Why go to work? Wow. You know, the incentive to not go to work is there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to, you know, take a step back, um, you know, obviously the show is called Healthcare Americana. So, you know, there is a, there is a kind of a, a roundabout point to this and to see what type of um, healthcare policies are working and those that aren't working for small businesses. But I love that we spent some time highlighting a lot of real challenges to America's small businesses. And I just want to get your definition just to make sure everybody's on the same page. What do you define as a small business through JCN? So the SBA defines a small business as any um, company with under 500 employees. So it's not a revenue issue. It's more of a size of your employees. We think 500 employees is a lot, um, but we do, we do follow that definition. We really do focus on what we call Main Street small businesses. And that's going to be your, you know, your pizza parlor, your dry cleaner, your hairdresser, you know, um, uh, employers who are in that, you know, as few as maybe three or four employees to maybe around 75 employees is, is where you'll find most of our membership. So these are real people that you're, are your neighbors, basically. These, this mm-hmm. isn't the millionaires and billionaires that are vilified on TV. These are the guys living across the street saying, hey, I'm doing everything I can. I'm the last guy usually pulling a paycheck out of this business. So talking about more barriers, and this is obviously why we're talking and having this conversation right here. I know from a standpoint of, you know, having started 
a few businesses in my career that when it comes to what we all think of as employment and healthcare benefits, there really aren't good options. And I'm going to put this back into your court here. And again, what type of work are you doing? Well, let me ask this. How many constituents do you have across the United States? So, uh, so we have members across the United States. We have grassroots members, we have paid members, and then we have what we call advocate members. And those vary, but we reach, we, we reach about 500,000 grassroots members every week um, with our materials, with our, our updates and educating them on various issues. Healthcare being a very important one of them because it has been such a challenging issue pre-pandemic, pre-Obama, the system was broken before Obama. Obamacare took a broken system and made it even more broken. So now we're just worse off than we were before, but, but we're still bad off. And, and, as, and since 2013, small businesses, about 30% of them, over 30%, about 34, 35% of them have had to drop health coverage for their employees because they just can't afford the skyrocketing premiums anymore. So one in three businesses not offering benefits that are defined as a health insurance plan. I like to I like to change the definition of benefits, kind of redefine health healthcare benefits to say, you know, you don't really need an insurance policy. That's a conversation, you know, I've I, I think a lot of people out there listening have heard my opinion that, you know, if you make over a certain amount, health insurance doesn't matter because you're going to go get the best care that you possibly can. If you make under a certain amount, medical care is usually cheaper if you're uninsured anyway. So what's the point in actually going out to get it except businesses are using it as talent attraction and retention tool. And in my view, obviously, with what we're doing at Freedom Health Works, I think we can kind of, I don't know, we, we really don't need to play within that ballpark. So I'm just curious to see, you know, what type of challenges do you hear about when you talk to your members and say, hey, guys, what do we need to learn about here from a kind of a benefit standpoint? What are your challenges uh, facing everyday small businesses? I mean, the biggest challenge has been costs for small businesses. And now when you add in the labor shortage, offering benefits, not just high pay, but, but benefits is an important retention tool to attract, ta- attract and keep talent in your companies. We have worked on health care, uh, health insurance reform, whatever you want to call it, health care reform for the last two years from a policy perspective and providing that input from the small business community. Um, And we did it by partnering with physician organizations. Physicians for Reform is the name of the organization that we partnered with. And we did a national study of about 25,000 Americans. It wasn't a Republican thing or Democratic thing or a socialistic thing or a free market thing. It was just identifying what Americans want in healthcare, what's important to them. It's market research. It's called discrete choice modeling for if there's any marketing nerds out there like me that are interested in that kind of stuff. But it it really makes people make choices and prioritize what's important. So in all the polls, we always see um, that people think it's so important to have their kids on their health insurance until they're 26. 26. Can you even believe I say that? 26 years old to have their kids on their health insurance, um, which is part of Obamacare, right? Well, when we did this market research, that was on like the bottom of page 11 in the report when it came back, because there's so many other things. I mean, Americans, essentially, they want it to be easy. They want it to be affordable and they want it to work. And health insurance is complicated to Americans. Um, They don't understand it. They know what the result is that they want. And one of the most important things that we found is that doctor-patient relationship is so important to them and, and women in particular. 
We're the ones who go to the doctor more. We're the ones who manage our health care for our families. We take our kids to the doctor. If our kids are sick, we're the ones advocating for them and looking for the next best solution. So we looked at how to formulate a framework for healthcare reform that would be patient-centered and focus on that doctor-patient relationship, price transparency, affordability, and choice. And look at those kinds of things. Direct primary care being part of that. Helping small businesses get out of the business of health insurance because that's not what they do. They do whatever they do, but they don't do health insurance. And coming up with choices that allow employers to do that. And it's very well received. It's called Healthcare for You is the campaign. And it's really an education campaign that there are alternatives out there to Obamacare, but we do need to educate Americans that those exist. From the survey standpoint, I think that that's that's really impressive what you said there because you can totally understand and you know to quote the uh, the great Mark Twain there are lies there are damned lies and there are statistics and so you can see how these things get skewed if someone calls you up and says hey do you think it's a good idea to have um, your I guess your adult children on your policy until twenty six well uh, yeah I guess so but Sounds no other context no other context right they're not saying. Um, are these your top three medical concerns? You know, is it is number one? Hey, I need to make sure that uh, my uh, <laughs> kid who needs to get out of the house needs to maintain his <laughs> right. health insurance plan uh, on this rather than going out and getting their own. So I totally understand it where it comes from context. And you know, just as a side, that's that's why everybody should be doing their homework, no matter what headline you see regarding anything. If you agree with it, just dig a little deeper into it. Anyways, you mentioned education. This is a huge, huge topic, and, and we've talked about this a lot. How do you get the notion across that there is a different way to go about doing things? Your health insurance benefits for your employees don't need to be the second or third largest expense. There are better ways and different ways of doing things. How do you get that message out? So as part of our Healthcare for You campaign, we have, um, we developed an education campaign around it and not only educate our members and their employees, but uh, legislators and the media and the public at large, that there is a better way. There is an alternative, but we've been in this education policy education game since the day we were started. You know, Bernie's vision for Job Creators Network was that we would provide educational materials to our members that they could share with their employees, nonpartisan materials to help them understand how the policies in Washington impacted their jobs and their livelihoods. Well, healthcare is a huge example of how it can impact your job and your livelihood, especially if your boss can no longer afford to give you health insurance at your job. So we've developed educational materials around what we call personalized healthcare, and that's personalizing that healthcare repairing and restoring that doctor-patient relationship, getting bureaucrats out of the decision-making and keeping that decision-making between you and your doctor and creating choice and price transparency and affordability. Um, And so we've developed educational materials to, to help folks understand that we've also recruited physicians to actually talk about it in the media um, because who can talk better about how the healthcare system is or isn't working, but doctors and talk about, you know, why they couldn't care for their employee or why they couldn't order a test that they knew their patient needed. It's because a bureaucrat somewhere in some, you know, government agency said, no, you can't order those kinds of tests um, until it's been six months or until it's been eight months or until they hit this level of illness. And so 
those are the challenges that our doctors deal with. And when you hear those stories right from the trenches from doctors, it really is um, eye-opening for Americans. And then to hear, but there's a better way. There is a better way. We can take these direct primary care doctors who are uh, just amazing business people and creating a model that, you know, look, it's got to be a tough model because you're really stepping outside of, I'm going to use borrow from last week's conference, but you're really stepping outside the matrix and creating this model where people pay like a monthly gym membership, but they have access to their doctor. And when you get a doctor start talking about, well, I can run all of these, say, blood tests, like a full blood panel will cost $4 through me um, and through my lab. But if we run it through your insurance, it's going to cost $100. The problem is, is there's no incentive in that insurance system for the patient to save the money mm -hmm. until the patient starts feeling the squeeze on their premiums and their deductibles. So if they start understanding the connection between all of that, then they'll understand why that $4 lab through their direct primary care physician is the better way to go. I'm curious, what has the response been when you're talking to small business owners what do they say about what you just said right there? Oh my gosh, there is a different way. Tell me more about it. Are they saying, I can't wait to implement this or, oh, geez, I just don't know how people are going to react. You know, it's been very positive. Um, the, the small business owners that, that I work with very closely and talk to on a regular basis, they want an alternative. And you have to remember entrepreneurs in and of themselves, they created their business out of new ideas. So hearing a new idea, they're very receptive to trying. They're very receptive to taking a new idea and even making it better. Um, and so it, this is the right audience to talk to. This is the right audience to not only talk to, but to become the messenger to the employees. So for your audience, there are 30 million small business owners in this country, and they employ 60 million people. So that's 90 million people that are part of the small business community. And that doesn't even count their dependents. So think about that for a second. If we got small business owners out there educating their employees, their families, their employees um, about other alternatives that exist, that are free market, that are patient-centered, that protect that doctor-patient relationship, people would flock to those alternatives they don't want to find out when they're sick or that they need that test that some bureaucrat has decided you can't have it for six more months. They just don't want to know that. I mean, I know that personally, and I have recently made the transformation into direct primary care. And it was out of my frustration with the system and being told something like that, that I made a transition into direct primary care. And, and I will forever believe that it probably saved my life. And that was, you kind of beat me to it, which I, I love it when uh, our guests are able to get there without me going there. Once again, we're talking to Elaine Parker with Job Creators Network and um, share that story with us, Elaine, because that is just a very, very powerful, because what you're saying is not just I'm reading the talking points in my organization or, yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm saying this, but actually, you know, I'm, I'm waiting in line for three weeks to go see my doctor because I have my insurance plan. Not the case. You are living exactly what you are saying, and that is very, very powerful. So I, I would, if you're open to sharing your story, please go ahead. Sure. I, I shared the story publicly for the first time last week, um, and it was very well received. But I am walking the walk and talking the talk now, both professionally and personally. 
Breast cancer runs very strong in my family. My grandmother, my mother, and my sister all had breast cancer. They are all deceased. And uh, I made the decision that it was time for me to do additional testing through my doctor um, earlier this year. And um, uh, he was resistant to the test, to doing additional testing because the insurance wasn't going to pay for it. And in spite of the fact that I said I would pay for it out of pocket, if that's what it meant, that I felt that strongly that we needed to pursue that, he wrote on his order as needed. He wrote the order, but then next to it wrote as needed, which put the decision-making in a radiologist's hand, who you never meet your radiologist. Mm -hmm. They don't know your history. I wasn't marked as high risk. Um, And so the radiologist looked at the insurance guidelines and said, sure, in six months, we'll do another test. So a mid-year test. So they think that they're checking a box for me, right? And I was very frustrated and I was worried about my future. And so because of my work in the healthcare side, I knew about direct primary care. I was an educated consumer on it. So I found a direct primary care physician. I spent a wonderful hour, hour plus with her getting to know her and getting to know my history. She immediately ordered all the tests that I asked for. And she also ordered genetic testing which makes total sense, right? So no surprise to anybody, um, any of your audience, but a genetic mutation was discovered. And so I met with more doctors. She was my, my direct primary care physician was my, not only my advocate, but my guide through the whole thing. And a decision was made that we needed to do a preventative surgery. Um, And so just a little over two months ago, two months and a week, I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction And my chances of breast cancer have been reduced by 95%. And I plan to be around for a long time. And I thank my direct primary care physician. And um, interestingly enough, as I sit here with you today, today was the day that I was supposed to have that six-month MRI, that six-month additional test. Wow. And look at all I've accomplished in six months. (laughs) It's it's a very powerful and, and obviously very passionate about it and and you know it is an emotional subject so I I appreciate you sharing that the the stories that people tell when they say look this is this was my life this is why I'm doing this I don't think I've come across anybody who is in this industry or an advocate for this who hasn't been touched personally in some way by realizing what we're doing right now when we talk about healthcare and the healthcare industry it's completely asinine. And people are the casualties here. We're not building widgets. It's not an assembly line, you know, just saying, oh, well, we're not going to take a look at Elaine's history anymore. Maybe let's call it six months. I mean, it's such an arbitrary figure that you just feel a lot of people feel lost or or even abandoned by what is happening. Yet so many people just bury their head in the sand and say, well, that's just the way it is. And I've never understood it. So the worst thing that I want somebody to feel is what I felt that day when I realized I didn't have a doctor-patient relationship that I thought I did. That is the worst thing that I felt. And the fear that I realized what was happening was I wasn't making decisions. My doctor wasn't making decisions. It was the insurance company that had laid out the policy of when I was going to get that test. And I think if Americans understand that They just don't want to find out they don't have that doctor-patient relationship when they're sick. Fortunately, I wasn't sick. Um, But to find out when you're sick that you don't have that doctor-patient relationship is devastating and you don't have an advocate and you need one because whether you're using direct primary care 
or you're in the matrix of the insurance system, it is scary to navigate things in the healthcare system just because, especially if you're sick, because there's so many decisions to be made. And so I am, I tell this, I'm ready to tell this story. I didn't think I could um, three months ago speak so personally, but I really realize now that I don't think people will forget my story. I think they'll, they'll be able to relate to the fear and, and start to question, do I have a doctor patient relationship and who's really making the decisions here when I need, when I feel I need something. So I, I am looking forward to continuing telling this story. As well, you should, because people will sit there and say, yeah, that's happened to me before. That's happened to my sister, my mother, my brother, my kids. I thought we had a really good insurance policy, but then the insurance company doesn't let us get any care. And the doctor that we're seeing doesn't get paid for going against those guidelines. So right. who has my best interest? And the answer is yourself. If you're not going to empower yourself to go out there and do what you need, get the tests and get the results and get the doctor that you need, you're doing yourself a disservice. And and that's that's an interesting takeaway too, that you know people deserve a lot better than what they're getting from their usual insurance dominated, third-party paying dominated healthcare infrastructure. I was reading this article actually yesterday and it was um, famous woman who had had breast cancer. And there's actually a long list of actresses that have had breast cancer. Um, but one of them, and they've all become spokespeople or advocates or spoken out on the importance of self-examination and all of those things. And and um, very appreciative of their efforts. But one of them um, not only did all that, but now advocates for universal health care. And I thought, so you just took all of our all of our ability to to, to try to prevent um, from ourselves from getting breast cancer, and if we do, from getting the care that we're going to need. I mean, she's very wealthy, so you're right. At her income level, she can pay for the best care. She's an actress, a successful actress. Um, but she's advocating for universal health care for the rest of us. She doesn't, she doesn't even realize what she's advocating for is for us to get in line and wait mm-hmm. um, and not have an advocate and not be able to get the tests we need and not have a doctor-patient relationship. And it, it's just very sad what people think about universal um, health care versus a free market system and how putting patients in control of not only their healthcare dollars, but their healthcare decisions are just equally important. Um, and it can be done and, and it can be talked about easily. I mean, conservatives always want to pull out like financial statements and say, see the bottom line, see how much money I saved by doing this. But you tell a story, whatever that story might be, mine or somebody else's, and people relate to it and they say, wow, that was successful. And that's how you carry a message. You don't carry it by saying, I didn't 30% savings, you know, that carried the day. Nobody's going to walk out remembering that. But they're going to remember that their life got saved because they were in charge of their healthcare decisions. Mm-hmm. And to take that a little further, I think it's a very slippery slope when we talk about healthcare benefits and different options for businesses. You mentioned a third of businesses no longer provide benefits for their employees and stick them out there on the individual markets. I know there's a lot of angst coming from the political right that says, look, we got to be careful that that isn't a fast track into single payer from an individual market. And that's a pretty big fear. I, I always joke to say, you know, one side of, of uh, Washington has really bad ideas and the other side really doesn't have any ideas. 
that we've seen in the past two decades or so. So to have uh, your organization out there fighting and showing people that, hey, we can do this from a grassroots level and then show people in Washington and even people in the state houses that there is a better way to do this. And oh, by the way, these are real lives that are being impacted. Mm-hmm. A six-month waiting list for you know breast cancer screening you're going to lose a lot of people there and it it doesn't need to happen. There's enough to go around. We're not going to shrink the pie. We're just going to make the pie bigger. And the only way to do that is through, you know, good old capitalism and and free markets to be able to do that. Right. Well, I mean, just think about the logic behind price transparency. I mean, we don't know what it costs to go and get an MRI or to go have your appendix removed. I mean, we, we don't know those costs. We don't, we, because there's no price transparency and it's hard to shop for your next heart attack, right? Like you just can't, those are emergencies. But when you think about, so I have two daughters and they went through um, high school and they had braces and things like that, but I, you know, I didn't have orthodontia insurance. So what did I do? I shopped, I shopped around, I shopped around like I shopped for tires Um, I called orthodontists and I got estimates on what it would cost for full care for orthodontia. So let me just tell you, huge disparity between orthodontists on services, on what they include, what the costs are. It is amazing how much you can save by calling around. Even dentists, root canals, be stunned, call around. As soon as you step outside of the traditional health insurance, the hospital systems and the big bureaucracies, and you're dealing with like orthodontists and dentists and, and those folks, they're not part of that as much as, as much as everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, as much as doctors, but huge discrepancy on a root canal, believe it or not. I mean, and I'm not talking a few hundred bucks. I'm talking like over a thousand dollars in cost differences on a root canal and teeth are expensive. So when you start calling around and Hey, let's, let's talk about plastic surgery. Price transparency. LASIK and- surgery. I mean, look at the price of LASIK that is the technology has you know skyrocketed and the price has just absolutely plummeted. That's markets at work. Yes. And the procedures have gotten better. The doctors, the technology, they're even better now. LASIK is amazing and so affordable. But why? Because they're competing for your dollars. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Transparency, competition. You create a market, you get out of the way, you get the interference. It's amazing what people can do when they're allowed to do it. Yeah. Go out there, run their business the best way possible. If I have a bad idea, guess what? I'm not going to be in business very long. Exactly. And, you know, and there are some Americans who are just, you know, they love the Medicare for all idea. They love the single payer universal health care. Sounds nice. Uh, it uh, it sounds you, right? fantastic to walk and in. And-, and, and I would also posit that, that people think that what we have right now is a completely free market. And it is one step away from completely socialized healthcare. And people don't realize that. They're like, oh, if capitalism has failed healthcare. Well, no, there's only about four or five major payers out there, plus the government. And you want to consolidate that into one of them and think right. that it's going to get better. And so, like you said, it, it's all education. It's education and providing those alternatives. Because if, if Americans turn away from the current system because they find alternatives that they like better, that work better for their family, that system will, will cease to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you're not feeding the monster, it's not going to hurt us. Elaine, last question for you. Where does Job Creators Network go from here? What kind of initiatives are you rolling out? 
So we're really focused right now on uh, a lot of the economic issues. Um, there's, like I said, it's it's a full frontal war um, on small businesses coming out of the administration that are very anti-business. Healthcare is coming. We will see healthcare probably next summer come up um, legislatively and and focus in that area. We continue talking about healthcare and and middlemen and ha- and um, pharmacy benefit managers how they drive up the cost of drugs. We, we continue the conversation with our members and in the media as, as much as we can inject it in the media. But it's a busy media field right now, <laughs> as you might imagine. I can imagine with, with uh, all kinds of recent events and people's attention span uh, being faster than a flash of lightning. Can't be easy to get all the attention that it truly, really deserves. Elaine Parker with Job Creators Network. Thank you so much for joining us here. It's been a fascinating conversation and I wish you all the best in giving America's small businesses and entrepreneurs a voice. Thank you so much, Chris. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from iSelf Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.